What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Nerdwide Podcast. We have been off for two weeks thanks to the Super Bowl, and that was, eh. It was probably, look, Alyssa, it was probably the most exciting Super Bowl we've had in a long time. I wish the outcome was a little bit differently, but it was a good game. Like, it was a, a fun game, and I don't think I've seen that in a long time, personally. Yeah, the, the commercials were eh. Yeah, it's, I feel like every year they're just kind of staying stagnant. They're not as good yeah. as they used to be. And, like, we need some Doritos commercials back in our lives. The movie trailer ones were okay. Like, of course, they only did, like, the 30-second trailers because, you know, anything more than 30 seconds is another $7 million. And right. no one wants to do that. They'll do, like, a quick little uh, quick little trailer and then say, watch the full thing online now. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's, yeah. it is what it is. But what can you do? That kind of that, that kind of sucked. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there, there were there were a couple of good commercials, but you know, I feel like the, the last few years they've kind of gone downhill. Mm-hmm. Oh, last year's was the worst with the uh, all the crypto commercials, which yeah. you know, not around anymore. So it's what they get. But right, <laughs> gladly that you know, I'm real glad they're not on there. Uh, quick housekeeping before we jump into our bulk of our show: we got two episodes of The Last of Us and the finale of National Treasure: Edge of History. But this is the Nerdwide Podcast, episode 102, with your host Tyler Haynes and my good friend and co-host, Mr. Chris Rivers. Quick housekeeping, don't forget to subscribe to either our YouTube or podcasting service of your choice. If you enjoy the show, make sure you leave us a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a good rating on whatever podcasting app you do use. If you don't enjoy what you see or hear, make sure you leave us a comment down below and let me know how we can you know improve this. If... Uh, if audio's terrible and needs some work, let us know. Uh, if Chris is low, I'm high, you know, whichever, let us know because, you know, can't Wait, fix it. high? <laughs> Depends on what day of the week it is. If you know what I am saying, if someone from work is watching that, I am clean. Do not drug test me. If you want to do more, you can always go to patreon.com slash nerdwide. Three different tiers for three different monetary values for a monthly subscription with a whole bunch of goodies for each different tier. If you want to do that, we greatly appreciate that. Oh, but Chris, two weeks. I know we got to just hang out and see each other Thursday night on your birthday. How has the past two weeks been? Uh, they've been pretty good, actually. Um, work's gone all right. And uh, I had a long weekend this weekend, so got to uh, relax. It's always fun. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm, I'm kind of recharged a little bit. I'm going to start doing... My goal is to watch three to four movies a week in addition to what we watch. Okay. So, I'm hold me to it. If you always want to do it, you can always just throw up a quick little three-minute review. Throw it up on the YouTube channel, you know. There you go. So just something quick and easy. That's all it takes. A YouTube short, if you will, is what they say. Yeah. That's <laughs> the uh, lingo nowadays. Yeah. Hey, it's 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 a thought. Right. You know? Maybe. Maybe. It's always, always a maybe, you know. How's your uh, two weeks been? Uh, it's been all right. Nothing too crazy. Uh, I worked last weekend of Super Bowl. Uh, had a little small little get together for it, but nothing crazy. And I'm trying to think if I did anything exciting. No, no, nothing been crazy going on in life lately. So, which is okay. You know, it's it's nice to kind of mellow out a little bit for a couple weekends. Right. Um, you have a. You have a guest in the studio. Yes, the this is Fury the Ferocious. Hey Fury, hey buddy. He's moving around his dog bed. He did not like where it was. Um, 
the girls are out of the house tonight, so he's hanging out with me, so he doesn't cause any disruptions for the show any more than normal. So if you're a video watcher, he's in the background doing a whole bunch of nonsense, and you can probably see me uh, bending down to pet him as well. So Chris, listen, we had a lot of, I guess, free time the past two weeks. Have you been watching anything TV-wise? I've just stayed caught up on some of the broadcast stuff, like um, NCIS and Blue Bloods and Quantum Leap. Did you see uh, What's-His-Name died from Law & Order today? I did, yeah, Richard Belzer. That was uh, just a random heart attack. It's the worst, man. Uh, Listen, I've watched... So I've finally got Jamie watching The Boys. We've only watched one episode so far because it's not one we can watch with our children nearby or anything. You know, most shows like The Last of Us, we'll watch with Stella in the room, but we'll have her facing a different way, so she's not really paying attention to any of it. Uh, But The Boys, you can't even do that with just because at any rate... There's hardly ever good times to pause that show. And um, I just don't want that, especially with Zoe. You know, she's 16, and I just don't. It's it's a whole mess. So we're slow going on that. Hopefully, we can have it finished before season four comes out. Uh, also, we watched Animal Control, the new Joel McHale show on Fox. It's all right. I think it's one of those that's going to take me a little bit to get into. But it does have that community vibe a little bit. That there are a lot of characters in all at once. Um, and then started season eight or was it nine of flash watch the first episode. It's flash. I mean, there's, there's yeah. nothing more to say about it right yeah. now. So I've got to watch two. The second episode's out. I just hadn't watched it yet, but the really exciting one though. Started big mm-hmm. bang theory. I know I've talked about it before. I've wanted to get, watch it all from the beginning. Um, I am now in season four, almost in season five. Just because it's one of those shows, like especially at work, I just have it in my ear and yeah. loosely pay attention to it. So, but man, I laugh so hard every time and laugh out loud a couple of times. Yeah. My coworker goes, "What are you laughing?" I'm like, "This guy." <laughs> You're just randomly walking around laughing at things. Yeah, dude, it's just no so good. It's so good. I'm telling you, man, that show is is wonderful. And I've got what ten seasons to go, eleven seasons to go. So yeah, it <sighs> ran for a while. And I'm okay with that because that's that's just what I need for work. But that's not what everyone is here for. They are here for our thoughts on National Treasure, Edge of History, Episode 10. Full-on spoilers for the show. And we'll talk about the season as a whole once I get done. We are going to thelaughingplace.com by Bill Galsell for our final recap. Let's see. Where do we want to start here? Questioning Salazar slash Hendrix why he was there, Billy is annoyed at seeing the boss of the treasure destroying Cabal. Wondering why Jess and Raphael are still alive, Billy tells Hendrix that she thought she would keep them alive until after they found the treasure. Ethan, Orin, Liam, and Tasha uh, arrive at the boathouse only to discover the group has left. Agent Ross is laying on the ground appearing to be dead, and a large guard with a gun blocks their way. Working out a plan to distract the guard, the group is easily captured by another of Billy's guards. Scene annoys me. I saw it last episode. She is dead. There is no way she's getting shot or stabbed through the gut in the back and then going through to her. It's like she, she'd be dead, like almost instantly. And the fact that she lives in this episode really just does not work with me. Like it, there was, there's no scenario where she did not live. It's a giant sword through the back, through her gut. It just, there's no way that she does not die 
So it was that point zero 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 one percent. Yeah, and there's there's no way like and he was uh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> Not, had he twisted it. Yeah, then that really worked. Right. Then we really would have called it off, but it's Disney Plus and it really dies. The guards' plans to shoot the, the group and dump them in the swamp for the Gators, trying to save Tasha Orrin, jumps in front of the gun, only to be saved by the semi conscious Ross against you should be dead, who has shot the two guards. Uh, Orrin and Tasha gets Ross to the hospital, while Ethan and Liam chase after Billy and Hendrix to save Jess. On board the boat of bad guys, Hendrix admits that he should never have doubted Billy, and Billy tells him that he's a man naturally who would underestimate her. The boat could go no longer travel via the motor, and the thugs need to start using poles to push the boat along. In a very slow pursuit, Ethan and Liam are forced to push their own boat along, and this is a perfect moment where the two bond. In the van, Tasha is trying to keep Ross from bleeding to death. She tells Tasha that Hendrix killed Peter Sadusky. It's slow going in the swamps, and Billy's boat enters a thick fog that comes out of nowhere. The compass tells them to keep going, and while the group plunges into the void, Raphael and Jess tell their captors that this is the fog of death. Billy and Hendrix are not easily spooked. They continue on. Again, I would have been like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm just to turn around. I'm good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I would have 100% believed that. Yeah. You know, I've, I know of movies called The Mist and The Fog, and uh, not, you know, never seen them, so, but I know it's scary. <laughs> Liam and Ethan follow behind and enter the fog as well. Billy's boat has hit a sandbar, and while Casey is trying to get the boat moving, Jess questions Hendrix about his motives. She tells him he is an FBI agent and that he took an oath. Offended by the question, Hendrix explains that they are the good guys. To Hendrix, when secrets to the past get uncovered, it causes problems. That's when Raphael realizes that the group plans to destroy the treasure. Billy tells them there is nothing more dangerous than the truth. To Billy, the Pan-American treasure is a political powder keg. The group continues to keep the status quo. Which I never understood that. Why are they destroying the, the treasure? I mean, it's... Because if it's, if it's revealed, it can change history, right? It'll change the, the story of history, which could redistribute power to different groups. Oh, basically. okay. That makes sense. That, you know, that makes a lot more sense. What I, like I just, as they're destroying, I'm like, that's a lot of money. I mean, yeah, you can get some good money from all that, but whatever, you know. Usually, it's a bunch of mercenaries just trying to go out and get the treasure just so they can sell it and get money for themselves. But you know, right. a different kind of uh, it would it would be the same. It would be too samey if they just kept doing it that way. You know, having mercenaries yeah. do it. Um, let's see, where are we? Right. Casey leads the group onto a path, knows that the path is lined with ornate stones. Billy and Hendrix see evidence of past visitors as bodies lay beside the trail. Wondering why the past visitors killed each other, Billy suspects that something is up. When one of the guards is passed by a coyote statue, he hallucinates and forces Casey to shoot him. In the melee, Casey is shot and Jess and Raphael escape. On their own, Jess and Raphael plan to get to the treasure and salvage as much as they can before Billy and Hendrix. Finding a Mesoamerican statue and using her, her, their historical knowledge, they set a direction and go left. Back in Oren's vans, racing to get to a city for medical help, Tasha is shocked to see that Zeke is calling Ross. Tasha tells Zeke, uh, begs Zeke to help and explain what he starts to explain what happened. Ethan, Ethan and Liam find the dead guys from Billy's group and continue their search. Billy, Hendrix, and Casey get to another statue and aren't sure where to go. The compass is telling them to go both ways, and Billy realizes that this is a test. Hendrix knows this is, uh, the direction as he sees a clue on the trail left by Jess and Raphael. Genius. Over the phone, Zeke directs Tasha to stab Ross in the chest with something sharp and hollow because that will relieve the tension in her chest and allow her to breathe. Tasha finds an eco-friendly metal straw and Oren pulls over so that Tasha can be as precise as possible. All right, pneumothorax, uh, tension, pneumothorax, right? 
She gets stabbed in the stomach. Not the lung. Nothing gets punctured. She doesn't have a deflated lung. Sure, whatever. Then we come up here underneath her clavicle and stab her in the chest where her lungs are not at. So I, I just, I, dude, it's, it was, it baffles me. My coworker and I were talking about this because we were thinking the same exact thing. Like why? Just why? And, and he even tells him like, don't puncture her lung. Right. I'm like, this is, this is what you're supposed to do. It, that's what relieves the tension. It is, oh God. And then on top of a metal straw that they just used a lighter to s- sterilize or whatever. I'm like, first off, that's not going into anybody's skin. That's not sharp. So I don't understand how that happened, but whatever. This is, you know, it's, Suspend your disbelief. Um, in the swamp. Disney. Yeah, it's Disney. You, you have to do something. Gotta, they, gotta they raise have, the ante. They have talking candlesticks and singing teapots. So I think we have to. Yeah, you just gotta suspend your disbelief, I guess. <laughs> uh, in the swamp, Jess and Raphael continue their trek and find the resting place of the treasure. No sooner do they find the location than they fall victim to an ancient trap. Over the phone, Z tries to prepare Tasha for the procedure, but Tasha does a wait, uh, wait and does it quickly. Within seconds, Ross can magically breathe again. The ambulance arrives at the van, and Agent Ross is like she just might survive. Don't know how. Trapped in the cage, Jess laments that they are going to die so close to finding the treasure. Raphael puts the blame on himself. He tells Jess that he should have listened to her mom. Jess's mom told him that the treasure would hunt or ruin their lives, and Jess tells Raphael that he doesn't get to take other credit for this their misfortune. Raphael regrets not being there for Jess and her mom. To him, Raphael missed everything that mattered in life. Father and daughter really connect in this moment to Jess and Raphael's surprise. It is Liam and Ethan that find them first. The four of them work together and lift the cage. While Billy, Hendrix, and Casey avoid dangerous traps, Ethan and Liam use elementary school science knowledge of simple mechanics to lift the cage off of Jess and Raphael with a lever. Agent Ross gets loaded into the ambulance, and Orin and Tasha try to figure out what to do next. It will be at least half an hour before a police search team can come out to the swamp. Unwilling to wait, Tasha and Orin head out to help their friends. Free from the cage, Liam reveals to Jess that his grandfather figured out that Hendrix and Billy plan to destroy the treasure. While the group is planning to enter the ancient temple, in temple, Ethan decides that he must go meet Tasha, Orin, and the cops and lead them to it. Raphael, Liam, and Jess make their way inside. Casey's wound slows down the group, and before she can stop him, Billy watches helplessly as Hendrix just kills her. Um, yeah. Hendrix explains that Casey was a liability, and this reminds Billy of her conversation with Raphael. Back at the prison visitor room, Raphael described how Hendrix and Salazar killed Billy's brother as a liability and shot him. Admitting that her brother was slowing them down, Hendrix admits to killing Billy's brother and reminds her that the, ca- the cause is all that matters. Brutal. Like, yeah. I was not expecting it, and I was like, oh, he didn't, okay. He didn't hesitate. No as hesitation. Soon as, she, as soon as she said, give me a minute, yep. he pulled his gun out and shot Immediately. her. Immediately. I was like, all right. I didn't like Casey anyways, but you know, that's one way to do it. Oh, man. I was like, okay, so Billy's going to be a good guy now. Boy, were we wrong on that thought. Let's see. Uh, while Hendrix is talking about how he was chosen to be Salazar because he makes the hard decision, Billy shoots him uh, with Casey's gun. Taking the medallion, Billy proclaims herself Salazar now. Just cutthroat and ruthless, and I loved it. At the temple, Raphael searching for a latch to open, the, to open it when Jess smacks his hand and reminds him of the dangers that are waiting. Raphael is just happy that she called him dad in the exchange. Using his left hand, Raphael... Uh, Disney. 
Using his left hand, Raphael pulls a hidden lever and an opening to the temple is revealed. Not a moment too soon, the group jumps into the temple as Billy fires at them from a distance. Inside Jess, Raphael, and Liam find a trap, uh, trap laid in floor that has a mysterious puzzle laid out for them, which is, if followed correctly, will bring them to safely to the treasure room without being killed. Jess realizes that the floor is a puzzle and to get across that room, they need to solve it. Remembering the three symbols that the Dodge and the Plume Surfer used to identify themselves, Jess identifies the markers on the floor. Directing Liam and her dad to the proper symbols, Jess knows that the traps won't stop until they step on the three symbols together. Jess must make it to the last step before they are all killed. Successfully, the group proceeds onward. Entering the treasure room, Jess, Liam, and Raphael find a room with priceless relics and treasure. They have found the great pan-American treasure they've been hunting for. Behind them, Billy enters the hallway to the treasure room and stumbles upon the trap. While the group is exploring the treasure room, they find a tapestry of Malinche and wonder how they are going to get the treasure out if they are locked in. Their question is answered when Billy blows a hole in the wall with some C4 explosives. Dazed by the explosion, Jess awakens to Billy threatening her. On the cusp of the setting the fire to the place, Jess trips Billy up with an ancient sling, and Ethan comes back to save the day. Billy is captured and held at gunpoint by Ethan. Ethan explains to Liam that when he was going for help, he saw Billy decide to follow her instead. Having left them a smoke signal for help, thanks to Ethan's success in the scouts, help soon arrives. Billy is led away in handcuffs, but not before Jess recovers her medallion. While Jess and Liam embrace over the success, Ethan, Tasha, and Orin are celebrating and finding the treasure and taking a selfie with a fortune. Raphael tells him that the mistake he made 20 years ago was he was trying to do it by himself. Just a short time later, the opening of the new exhibit of the Malenche has Agent Ross and Zeke entering the star-studded exhibit feature uh, together. Uh, ex star-studded exhibit together. Behind glass cases with tons of security, the items found the remote temple are on display and the story of Malenche is finally being told. Raphael, Tasha, Orin, Ethan, and Jess are looking at a portrait of Jess's mom drawn by Raphael when, Ra when Liam joins them. He was late and told them that he was cleaning out his grandfather's study and found a cassette tape with information about the Pan-American treasure. When Raphael suggests that the curators of the exhibit could add the tape to the collection, Liam tells him that no. According to Liam, there is another thing on the tape. Orin asks if the other thing is treasure-related, and of course, Liam tells him yes. That's on time. Yep. And that ends it. No Ben Gates, no Riley, nothing. Um, I am yeah. going to be lied once again, and they need to quit with their guessing game if we're going to be at, it at this point. Well, he could have, Riley could have been in more and they could have cut it. Yeah. That's a good point. The, but he obviously was important to the end of the show because he would have been in there. Yeah. The the author here of the article goes in and starts season two or National Treasure three question mark. So both, yeah. Uh, why not both? I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. We'll see what happens. And but what were your thoughts overall? Did you really did you like the show? Would you rather have an episode well, a movie three with uh, Nicolas Cage back in or or what? Well, I I definitely want another movie with Nick Cage. Mm -hmm has been gates but i really love the show i mean if i were rating this it's not in letterboxd but if it were i'm probably giving this show like a four four and a half yeah. out of five i really loved it i mean um, and it was something fun every episode like there were obviously there were some slower episodes but it was still yeah it still led the story along like i really like when i go back think about the elvis episode i really enjoyed because of the whole uh elvis lore and stuff like that that was fun uh just the i think i like the penultimate episode better than the finale it just didn't land for me um but i'm right there with you four four and a half is 
is right where I'm at with it. But it's um, the finale just didn't really stick the landing to me. Some of the, uh, it's too rushed, and I knew that's what was going to happen when we watched the penultimate episode, and I hadn't even gotten there yet. So, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. That was kind of a, a bummer that they kind of they had to rush through a lot of it. I, I thought it was interesting when uh, when Billy gets to that room where the floor triggers these these turrets basically mm-hmm. that are filled with arrows and i'm like okay how's she gonna and I, i'm assuming she just sprinted between them that's what i'm yeah she because if because, she didn't have three people so <laughs> no, no and there was no way in her bag that she could well i guess maybe she could have thrown the c4 from where she mm, was at and had it do that then had weight somewhere something like that yeah but that's Listen, how I would have done this finale, you've done it all, whatever. They're at this museum, right? At least Riley shows up. He goes, hey, you know, this must have been the treasure y'all were talking about at the funeral. Good job. Hey, I've got someone on the phone that wants to talk to you. And uh-huh. she puts it to her ear. It's Ben Gates. And he's, so you heard you want to see the Declaration of Independence. And then just end the episode. I would have enjoyed that. But they, they, they even could have had it so that Riley and Liam walk in together. Maybe right. Riley sought him out at his grandfather's house so now he's been tipped to this new clue already mm-hmm. he's and already it's, called ben. it's already in the case with ben because you know they've been working on something it's another clue for them and right oh, chris why aren't we writing tv shows you know what i mean <laughs> no one asks us no one asks us and no one pays us for it um but that was national treasure edge of history let us know what you thought down in the comments down below if you enjoyed the show if you wanted it to be more well, uh you know if it was the best tv show of all time but, you know, obviously we here enjoyed it here on the Nerdlight Podcast. Let us know your thoughts down below. As we get into The Last of Us Episode 4, we're going to TVLine.com by Kimberly Roots. And this is called Blights of Passage, or this episode is called. Uh, let's see. Here we go. The, the, the hour gives us a lot of Joel and Ellie banter. Don't worry. He's still a gruffy telling her to wait here or don't move a lot. But he's also getting annoyed at her gleeful re- recitation of puns from a kid's joke book. And discomfited when she finds a male nudie mag in the backseat of a truck. Um, which is fr- directly from the video game, might I add. Like line for line. They, dr- they drive until dusk. Then Joel decides that's enough for the day and pulls off the highway into some woods. Freshly restocked from Frank and Bill's, uh, they share a 20-year-old can of Chef Boyardee. And she wonders why they can't have a campfire. Joel tells her that they, while they're in a remote an area for an infected to be too big of a threat, other people certainly are in danger and a fire will draw them to them. She infers that uh, those people might rob them. Um, they'll have way more in mind than that, he says grimly. I was like, oh, that's dark and foreboding. Mm-hmm. After they both climb into their sleeping bag, she tricks him She tricks him into engaging with another joke, which he does willingly, surprising her, and then she asks, no one's going to find us, right? Sounding more like a scared kid than she usually does. He assures us that no one will find them, and she falls asleep, which I love. They don't have it in her here, but he stays awake all night because yep. she's gotten into his head, and he's like, you know, I'm protecting her, and stays up all night long on guard and everything, which is a beautiful, nice touch. They continue their drive towards Cody, Wyoming, which is the approximate area where Tommy's last message came. Elias Joel questions about his brother for a change. He answers him. He says, Tommy's what we used to call a joiner. Per Joel, Tommy's hero complex led him to enlist in the army after high school and get shipped out to Operation Desert Storm. But he became disillusioned with the military. After outbreak day, Tommy convinced Joel to join him in a group making its way to Boston. Joel tells Ellie that he did so mainly to keep his brother alive. That group is where they met Tess. 
Then uh, Tommy met Marlene, who recruited him to the Fireflies. He says the same mistake he made when he was 18, he said bitterly. He wants to save the world, but last he heard, Tommy was no longer with the Fireflies, which means he's on his own, and I got to go get him. Off of Joel's... Oh, go ahead. I love, because I think it was in this scene where she's looking at the map, mm -hmm. and, and she's she's never heard the, the town Cheyenne pronounced before. Right. She's like, Cheyenne? Dude, it's, He's like, oh, Cheyenne. It's those small moments that yeah. let you, because I mean, she's uh, 15, right? Or 13 mm -hmm. or something, right? 14 is what it is. 14, yeah. And so she doesn't know a life outside of like the quarantine zone and things like that. Right. So this is all new. These are all, they don't teach that in the school. And they bring that up in a couple of scenes. Like, oh, you know, we don't teach, you know, I was not taught that. Like how to swim, things like that. She was never taught she, how to do any of this. She even brings up in that scene, she's like, hey, chill. It's my second day ever in a car. Right. And she's so excited. It's just, uh, it's, they do Bella Ramsey's phenomenal. Pedro Pascal's phenomenal. The writing it's I, I can't praise it enough. And I know we'll say it many, many, many more times throughout these episodes. But it's their chemistry is so well done together. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how that is or you know, how how the whole hiring process worked. I I can't wait to listen because I'm sure Neil Druckmann will do a podcast or a book someday about it because I just I want to know about all that kind of stuff. Well they're they're doing the podcast. Yeah, the right? oh, what's it the called? Companion. Yeah. With Troy, uh, Troy Baker doing it. Mm -hmm. So, so good, man. Oh, it's so good. Uh, let's see. Off of Joel's acrimonious tale. I don't know what that word is. They're, uh, acrimonious. Acrimonious, yeah. There we go. That sounds a lot better. Ellie wonders why he even keeps going, given that he clearly doesn't think there's any hope for the world. He says, you got it. You keep going for family. That's about it. He quickly responds. When she points out that she's not family, he concurs, no, you're cargo. I made a promise to Tess, and she was like family. God, it was so, like, oh, man, it's just so good. Like, his line delivery here and the hurt that she feels. Because, yeah. like, she's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I am just a piece of cargo to you still. But he has to keep that mentality. Yep. Because it's the world that they live in. And, yeah. Oh, man. Outside of Kansas City, a cluster of cars, including a tractor trailer that wound up uh, lengthwise across an overpass, blocks the highway, though Joel can see the way the clear is on the other side of the wreckage. Sighing heavily at the time it'll take, he decides they cut around to use local roads to get back on the highway on the other side, and that's when things get real bad. The pair get lost driving through the city to find their way back on the main road. It's also eerily empty for being so near to a QZ. Uh, to it, uh, Ellie says, where the F is Hydra? Just then, a limping man approaches the car and asks for help. But Joel notices that the guy's got a friend positioned above them and recognizes it for the ambush it is. He tries to speed out of there but doesn't see the spike strips laid on the ground. Joel winds up crashing through the truck into a laundromat storefront as people shoot at him and Ellie. They're both okay as they're wearing their seatbelts, and as Joel retrieves his gun from the back seat, he orders Ella to hide in a literal hole in the wall. She scurries there as he fires to cover her. He takes down two shooters, but then is surprised by a third man who busts through the door behind them and gets advantage of Joel before he could do anything about it. The guy is about to choke Joel to death with his gun when Ellie crawls out of her nook and shoots the assailant in the back, injuring him. He falls off with Joel and starts crying badly. He doesn't know what to do. Meanwhile, Joel simply holds out his hand and Ellie places her weapon in it. Get back behind the wall, he tells her, so she does. The guy's cries ab abruptly stop when Joel kills him. Soon after, some definitely not Fedra type of patrol rolls by, and Ellie and Joel know that they've got to seek hired gun in order to get a clear route out. Beautiful scene. Like, having this little, the the kid, who's obviously this little um, part of, um, what's her name's group, uh, Kathleen, and 
he's screaming for his mom and everything else like that. And you can it's showing it from Ellie's point of view. And you can see how much is messing her up. And even just how much shooting that guy in the back is messing her up. And then he obviously gets stabbed and killed. But man, it's oh, so well done, man. Um, which keep in mind, this is probably my lowest episode of the whole series so far. And it's, but that's not saying much because of how good it is, but yeah. it's, it's not saying much. Um, elsewhere, an old man in the cells being interrogated by a woman will learn her name is Kathleen and he's not giving her the answer she wants. I wonder if this is the cell where my brother was beaten to death. She muses, you were wronged and I'm sorry, but this has gone too far and it has to stop. He pleads on the edge of tears. She accuses him of riding on his neighbors to Fedra, but he denies it, reminding her that he was a doctor who delivered her when she was born. But she's unmoved, saying that someone named Henry certainly did help Fedra, and she wants to know where he is. She's distracted by a lot of honking and ruckus outside. The men Joel shot and or killed have been brought back to headquarters, and Kathleen's instantly so sure that this Henry guy had something to do with it. She marches back inside and fatally shoots the doctor where he sits. Then she announces to the crowd that this is Henry's work, understand? And she puts them on a mission to find every Frederick collaborator and kill them all. Joel and Ellie hide in an abandoned bar while the patrols roll by, waiting for the opportunity to continue to a tall building four blocks away. I'm trying to take a side note here. I just want to make sure. Uh, okay. While they wait, it becomes clear that Joel is shaken because he didn't hear the last guy coming, and he feels bad that Ellie had to attempt to kill someone on his behalf. He says, you're just a kid. You shouldn't know what it means. It's not like you killed him, but shooting or I know what it's like. The first time that you hurt someone like that, if you and he trails off, I'm not good at this. She agrees. Uh, he apologizes for putting her in that situation, but as she wipes her, her eyes, she lets him off the hook. It wasn't my first time. As they both marinate and how terrible the entire world is and how it's not likely to get better anytime soon, Joel pulls out Ellie's gun and after a little instruction on grip and such, tells her to put it back in her pack and she shoves it in her pocket instead. Oh, obviously, uh, future spoilers, The her first time was her first girlfriend at the, the mall where she gets bit for the first time. And... It's awful because I know I know that, and we know that from playing the game and stuff. But it's man, it's another good scene between those two. Mm. Uh, also, to point out, to point out, I don't think I've got this guy's name. I know Jeffrey Pierce is the actor. Um, Perry is the guy's name. Is one of the guys in Kathleen's guard, who is Tommy right. in the video game. So it's very cool to see them put him in. The Kathleen, of course, is not in the game. So she's a completely made character just for this scene alone. Um, let's see. All right. We'll get through this, he says. I know, she replies. They head outside. Meanwhile, Kathleen and a guy named Perry, who I'm guessing is her lieutenant, find an attic where it looks like a kid lived there for a while. There are drawings of superheroes on the wall. She knows that she knows that the people looking for are out of food, and Henry won't let Sam starve. She's sure that the fugitives are close. Joel and Ellie get to the tall building safely. Their plan, climb to the top, which is 45 flights, and wait until morning when the sunlight will help them see a route. As they climb, she asks how he knew the guy who he said was hurt was part of an ambush. He replies that he's perpetrated a surprise attack just like that before. It was a long time ago we did what we needed to do, he says, clarifying that the we was him, Tess, and Tommy, and the people they're traveling with. He doesn't, he doesn't answer her follow-up query, did you kill innocent people? Though Joel's 56-year-old broken several times over body needs a rest on floor 33, and Ellie, of course, teases him, they eventually get to the top and find a room to sleep in. Joel spreads broken glass near the door to serve as an alert if someone enters, then they settle down to rest. With him trying to draw her out about the person she had to kill and her stonewalling him about it, he gently agrees that she doesn't have to, he doesn't have time, uh, that she doesn't have to tell him anything, but reaffirms it isn't fair to have to deal with the fallout from that at her age. 
She says, so it gets easier when you get older, she asks. No, not really, he admits, but still. As they talk, she points out that he doesn't hear well on his right side. He says it's probably from shooting too many guns. She tells him a dumb joke. He laughs and then denies that he's laughing. And then they get the giggles. And it's perhaps the first moment of true levity either of them have had in a really long time. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed it because it's over really quickly. Later, Ellie calls Joel's name and then does so again. Sharply, he wakes up to see a young boy pointing a gun at him and brings a finger to his lips telling him to be quiet. Ugh. That that last scene made that episode perfectly, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a really good scene. Um, good episode too. Just yeah, like like you said, this was not the best episode we've had so far, but it was still a great a episode. episode. <laughs> so, that's that's what you want out of a show, you know. You want it to. Uh, to never get too too low you want the you want it to be pretty even right all being pretty good so um i i think the whole kathleen storyline i really don't care about and it's even more pushed in on this this next episode we're about to talk about but i just like i just i didn't care about her whatsoever yeah i mean they did a good job of getting you to the point with her where you just really wanted her gone. Yes. And so it made what happens in the next episode a high point. Yeah. That much more better. <laughs> yeah. Perry, Perry, by the way. Oh, man. What a way to go. Oh, we'll get there because that was brutal and a great way to end uh, Tommy. Uh, this next episode, episode five. Again, we're going to tvline.com. But Kimberly Roots, this one's titled Endure and Survive. Hold on, let me get Fury. Endure and Survive. Which is a, a wonderful title for an episode. Uh, let's see. Here we go. The start of the episode rewinds a little bit to when Kathleen and her group have just assumed control of the Kansas City quarantine zone. Crowds roam the street training freedom. Uh, federal officers are hanged. The city belongs to the people. Collaborators surrender now, a man announces. Very a bullhorn as a truck dragging a corpse slowly rolls through the chaos. Brutal. Like, there were some brutal bodies and scenes in this first, like, very first right off the bat of this episode. Uh, you had guys, like, with nails and glass sticking out of them, being drugged behind trucks, people being hung, people being beat. It was rough, and it makes you really think what Fedra did to these people for multiple years, because it's yeah. like they got everything that came to them. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, the kid and young man we saw briefly at the end of the previous episode are hiding. Their names are Sam and Henry, respectively. The brothers Kathleen is turning over this entire city to find. In fact, at that exact moment, she's interrogating a cell full of accused informers in order to help figure out the brothers' whereabouts. Uh, where one says they're with Edelstein, she, who turns out to be the doctor Kathleen killed in episode 4. She orders Perry and, t- uh, and his team to go door-to-door to find them, then instructs her second-in-command to skip a trial and just kill all the collaborators. When you're done, burn the body, she says. It's faster brutal but mm-hmm. uh, Henry and Selma with Edelstein hold up in the building in the city but they're low on food and out of ammunition Sam who is deaf is scared which is also different from the video game Sam was not deaf which I thought this was a much better uh, way to tell the story yeah um, as that little bit more attention into it uh, let's see Sam Henry hands him a bag of crayons and as a distraction ask him to beautify their living quarters so the boy starts drawing a super Sam hero character on the walls 
Ten days later, it's been 24 hours since Edelstein left to try to find food. Henry knows that the doctor likely has been killed and doesn't sugarcoat the possibility when Sam asks. Henry adds that they're going to have to leave too because they're very hungry. The little boy is understandably freaked out. So, Sam, so Henry has him close his eyes and uses his orange paint to draw a mask on Sam, so he's super Sam. Henry shows him his reflection in a knife and it's a sweet moment in a, in a uh, hellscape. They're about to leave when they witness the ambush that happened to Joel and Ellie in the previous episode. The laundromat is directly across the street from where they were hiding. Uh, Henry gets a good look at Joel's face and signs to his brother that they have a new plan. Cut to where we last left Angry Dad and Wonder Kid with Ellie uh, yelling for Joel who's sleeping with his good ear muffled by the pillow to wake the heck up. Sam and Henry have got them cornered. Henry and Joel don't get off to the best start. Uh, she says, that's just the way he sounds. He has an asshole voice. Ellie intervenes, trying to de-escalate the situation. Henry signs to Sam that he's going to trust their new acquaintances, and a tentative peace has reached. Joel and Ellie share their food. She immediately takes to the brothers, but Joel is, shocker, far more guarded. He gives them some context for everything they've experienced. The Kansas City Armored Federal is a terrible group of people that tortured the residents of the QZ, hence it being overthrown. But Henry quickly confesses that he collaborated with Fedra, which angers Joel. Henry has a plan. He'll help Joel and Ellie get out of town if Joel will be the armed heavy he needs. Despite all the posturing with the gun, he's never actually shot anybody. Joel agrees, and Henry lays out his plan for leaving. Fedra drove all the infected underground 15 years ago. It's a smart, actually a pretty smart idea. But the Fedra guard Henry worked with confessed that they cleared the Manus tunnels three years before. And indeed, when the four of them got down there, there's no evidence of any shroom heads. There is evidence in the form of a young children's classroom of a community that survived and maybe even flourished a little underground after Outbreak Day. Reminding me a lot of Fallout. Um, Ellie and Sam bond over a comic book series they both love. He teaches her some ASL for Endure and Survive, a phrase central to the comic. Uh, while everyone waits for it to get dark outside, the better for cover when they pop outside later, the younger set plays soccer. If you were collaborating to take care of him, I shouldn't have said what I said, a charger and uh, Joel grits out. Then Henry admits that he has killed somebody, a great man, the leader of the resistance movement in KC in order to get a leukemia drug for Sam, who needed it dearly at the time. This man was Kathleen's brother. Elsewhere in the city, Terry finds Kathleen brooding in her childhood bedroom. She talks about how her brother Michael would be horrified by what she's done and how the last time she saw him in jail, he told her to forgive. But she doesn't see justice and forgiveness, and Terry's on the same page. Michael was a great guy, but didn't affect change. Terry notes, however, you did, we were with you, she exhales, saying, good. Sam, Henry, Joel, and Ellie make it out to the tunnels, and Henry is gloating that his plan worked when a sniper starts taking shots at them from a nearby house. Joel sneaks around the back, goes inside, and stops the old man. Then Joel realizes that the sniper has been in radio communication with Kathleen's team, which is just about to arrive. Run, Joel starts yelling from the window and the tree on the ground do so while he tries to cover them from his perch in the house. He manages to pick off a lead car which crashes into a nearby house and creates a huge fire. During the ruckus, Ellie falls, Henry picks her up and helps her to a hiding place and Joel takes note of this action. Kathleen is irked. She stands in the road and commands Henry to come out and he yells back from his hiding place that he will if she lets Ellie and Sam go. She says, so nope. Do I? So stupid. Yeah, that's, I, w I, I mean... Luckily, it was buying time. He didn't know he was buying time, though. Right. Uh, she says, nope, the monologue about how kids die all the time. She says, you think the whole world revolves around him, but he is worth everything. She mocks, and mind, that was a little on the nose. 
When she yells, this is what happens when you F with fate. It's clear we're through the looking glass here and Henry tells Ellie to take Sam and run as he steps out from the hiding spot with his hands raised. Kathleen is just about to shoot him dead when everyone's attention is pulled to the truck that drove into the house a few minutes before. The vehicle slowly slides into a sinkhole releasing a tidal wave of infected, including a bloater. The thing is so big and is really tough to kill. The scene goes from a standoff to an every man for themselves. Ellie gets separated from Sam, and Joel does his best to cover her from the house. She winds up inside a car as precisely as a nanosecond to breathe before a clicker, or childhood clicker, who apparently was a circus performer in its previous life, climbs in and contorts its body over the seat until it's up in her face. She manages to get away in time, notices that Sam and Henry are under a car and under attack, and with Joel covering her once more, uses her knife to single-handedly dispatch two infected. When the bloater emerges from the hole, Perry tells Kathleen to run and take cover. He empties his gun to the hulking creature, which barely slows down as it approaches, and then easily rips his head in half. Brutal. God, it was yeah. so brutal, and I loved it. Oh, my God. Like, it's just one of those things I love about... Oh, man, it was one, so good. Like, this whole scene, I was on the edge of my seat because it was so chaotic and so very well choreographed, which I found out took them 10 days to shoot by the way just in that really? whole scene 10 days which is very understandable because look at how well it worked out yeah. um that child clicker was also a like she's like a gymnast uh like a pro- gymnast prodigy and so she's the way that she's like flipping over yes the like that was her like they didn't tell her to do that stuff she just did it and this okay that works let's keep that in I was like, man, this, like, it's just, all, all of the cast, like, a supporting cast, all of it, but a child clicker is terrifying. Oh, God, it's and, terrifying. And we found out after the episode, when they did the behind-the-scenes stuff, that they brought in the guy from uh, the newer Planet of the Apes movies mm-hmm. to teach people how to move and it, as, as these clickers. Who, who would have thought of that, though? Like, that's so genius to say, oh, you know, this guy would have great experience in it. Let's bring him in and let's teach our people here. And it just it, all those small details add so much into it. Like, it, it's even from the video game, because Joel shooting out and stuff like that is from the video game, from the sniper's nest and everything. And I was like, oh, God, this is a one-on-one shot again. And it's just so good. Um... Ellie, Sam, and Henry get free of the melee, but uh, happen to run pa- right past Kathleen, who yells for them to stop, and then gets jumped by an infected who rips into her like she's a downed pinata. Joel, it was the girl. Yeah, it was the little girl from the car. Yeah. Uh, which is so funny because she was talking about, you know, kids die all the time and stuff like that. And a, a kid that did die took her down. Um, let's see. Joel meets them and all four make it safely away and they get holed up in a motel to rest. Joel offers for the brothers to come to Wyoming, and Henry readily agrees, planning to tell Sam in the morning, new day, new start, he says in a way that's far too optimistic for anything that might happen on the show. Um, in the adjoining bedroom, Sam and Ellie have a conversation via his whiteboard. He asks if she's scared, and she says she's scared all the time, especially of ending up alone. When she turns the question on him, he writes, if you turn to a monster, is it still you inside? Everyone can see where this is going now. Yeah. Then he pulls up his pant leg to show her that he got bit during the fight. She quickly writes, my blood is medicine, and pulls out her knife to slice her palm and press it to his wound. He asks her to stay awake with him all night long. She promises that she will, then hugs him as they try not to cry. Of course, everyone is exhausted, and Ellie does fall asleep. When she wakes up the next morning, Sam is sitting on the bed with his back to her. He turns around, and we see that he's fully infected, and he attacks her. The noise wakes Henry and Joel, who are sleeping on the floor in the living room. As Sam and Ellie tumble into the room, Sam on top of her and snarling, Joel reaches for the gun, but Henry grabs it first. 
Then in an English momentary decision, Henry shoots and kills his little brother. Joel seems genuinely affected and worried for Ellie, maybe for the first time openly. Um, he goes as far as to move toward her, but Henry stops him, freaking out and repeating, what did I do, multiple times. Joel tries to get to the young man to hand, to hand over the gun, but Henry puts it on his temple, pulls the trigger, spraying blood everywhere. Ellie, dazed and still kneeling on the ground, starts crying. Joel buries Henry and Sam outside the motel. Ellie writes, I'm sorry, on Sam's whiteboard and leaves it on top of the dirt covering his body. Then she asks Joel which way is west, and after he tells her, starts walking that direction and beckoning for him to follow. Oh, I knew yeah. it was coming still. Yeah. And it was it was so good. And um and we can see the the characters start turning here to each other. Ellie start turning into Joel more and Joel starting to get his humanity back and emotions while he's burying them. Because Ellie yeah. decides, you know, it happens all the time and starts walking off while Joel is still sitting there, like more uh I guess affected by the situation. And Oh, so like it's where we're going at next is Tommy's going to be introduced. Yeah. Uh, well, reintroduced. And I'm like, we still have four, five episodes left, and we don't have a whole lot to cover. So I'm very curious where we're going with this. And I'm really excited about it. But I think uh, this episode, we get in, next episode is going to be a little bit slower. The desperation from Ellie. Oh. With, when she's trying to save Sam. Yes. Slicing her own palm open and. Yeah, and and you're just thinking that's not gonna do it. Yeah, he, like it, it would take a transfusion, even even if that worked. And we don't, you know, we don't know. And of course, Ella doesn't know that either. And right. like her trying to be a super, she goes, "You know, my my blood's a cure. It can save you." And she tries, and she's trying to be a hero from the comics. There were, you know, endure and survive is what they signed to each other and stuff. And I was like, oh man, it's we're seeing a little girl who who's been given this gift. And she's trying to use it and trying to make something of it for, you know, I'm saying that with a wink, but it's, it's so good. Like, and it's so much emotion from Bella Ramsey in this whole scene. So, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Like, I, I love this show. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I've got some numbers for us here from for the despite direct competitions with the Grammys, The Last of Us Episode 4 climbed significantly yet again in viewership. Um, so I'm going through each episode. I didn't have anything for the fifth one because they released it on a Friday night and all the metrics were thrown off, but episode one for, so this is who watched it at eight o'clock when it launched 4.7 million for episode one, episode two had 5.7 million <laughs> episode three, 6.4 and episode four had 7.5 million. So it climbing, listen, this show is climbing one point, you know, X million every episode. And that, yeah. that shows a lot of things there. Yeah, Fury's very interesting. Yeah, he's, he's upset that I am not constantly petting him. And I've never seen him get on this trail like this before. But, man, it's it's good. And I'm glad because they announced uh, after the episode was over that they were going to put the episode Friday night instead of on Sunday night to, uh, to compete with the Super Bowl, which I was worried about. And I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad they did that. I mean... If I were going to watch it as soon as it dropped, I would have muted the game and watched the episode oh. and just... Well, it was one of those episodes that you can't pause, though. You know what I mean? It was just one oh, of that, That's what I'm saying. Like, I would have muted the game, had it on in the background, watched the episode, mm. and then when it was over, gone back to listening to what the, they were saying on the game. Right. That's, that's a good, good call. That's a smart call. 
But man, right. it was it was so good, and I'm I, I I can't wait for these next weeks. Okay, let's get into our little bit of a news here. Flash uh, EP revealed that if season nine had been twenty episodes long than normally are, they would have tempted to wrap up the Legends of Tomorrow. I'm going to comicbook.com by Nicole Drum. Uh, let's see. With The Flash, the last remaining Arrowverse series on the CW, kicking off its final season on Wednesday, many fans of the long-running DC Comics-inspired franchise have been hopeful that Barry Allen's final run would also serve to wrap up the cliffhanger left unresolved by the series finale of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Unfortunately for Legends fans, the Flash showrunner Eric Wallace says that simply would not be the case. Speaking with the nerds of color, Wallace said that had the final season of Flash been longer, there was an idea to wrap up Legends of Tomorrow, but the shortened episode could count count meant it could, simply could not happen quote there was originally when i had hoped that we'd had 20 episodes um but my original concept was to have at least one if not two parter that wrapped up legends of tomorrow and you know there would be a little crossover if we get them back we get them out of time jail all these good things happens booster gold etc etc wallace said when we find out we only had 13 episodes that was no longer possible we barely have enough time to wrap up things with barry and iris upcoming family let alone who is danielle Pennebaker playing now so there wasn't enough time. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to wrap up the Legends storyline, which I know is very disappointing to the fans. It is disappointing to me. But we just don't have the bandwidth. So. There's still, I mean, the new regime there could still give us something on HBO Max, right? Yeah. They could still give us three to five episodes for them to come together, wrap it up. Well, he says, I guess I still haven't even done the series finale. He said, we're still writing a series finale, so you never know what could happen at the very end. Hope does spring eternal, but I just wanted to put that over. All the legends, at least, are going to appear in an episode. So, yeah. So, at least they're still appearing. But Maybe we'll get a time jump forward. I would like that. And, and, and then they... I don't know. I don't know how they would ever go back and tell us. Maybe we find out in Superman and Lois some mention of. God, I don't. I don't know what they're doing with that thing. They recast Lex Luthor. We don't have no any idea what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, next news story: Vikings Valhalla is returning for a season three. I really need to sit down and watch that because I would love that show. Um, so we'll get a season three for 2024, and then Loki mm -hmm. season two and Secret Invasion are now the only sure bets for Disney Plus's series this year. Going to IGN.com by Adam Bankhurst. Uh, while Marvel's big MCU Phase 5 reveal at San Diego 2022 revealed six shows would likely be arriving on Disney Plus in 2023, the number allegedly may drop to only two, with Loki Season 2 and Secret Invasion being the only sure bets for sure this year. As reported by THR, the news follows com comments by Disney CEO Bob Iger, in which he said the company... Hold on. Someone's having a tantrum. So we're gonna... <laughs> this is this is why he's he's never in here when I'm doing this. Um, let's see. As reported by THR, this news follows comments by Disney CEO Bob Iger, in which he said the company needs to be a better at curating franchise content that is extraordinarily expensive. Marvel content obviously doesn't come cheap, and Disney was planning on potentially releasing Loki's second season, Secret Invasion, What If second season, Ironheart, Echo, and Agatha: Covenant of Chaos in 2023, which is a lot. Um, if this changes are to go through, though, sources say Loki and Secret Eight Invasion will be the only ones to make the cut, even though shows like Echo and Ironheart have wrapped their productions months ago. For comparison, Marvel Studios released four movies and five shows in 2021, and three movies and three shows in 2022. See, I think that's the better balance, three and three. Yeah. 
Not... Which we're still getting three movies this year. Yeah, um, we've still got Guardians three and the Marvels, yep. right? So they could give us one more show. Yeah, then we're gonna have, they're gonna have to give us something else to fill in the gap. And we don't even know when these two shows are supposed to release this year either. So yeah. we'll get, which Loki season two you would think would be between Guardians and Ant Man, but well, and and there were rumors at one point that we were gonna get a second season of Moon Knight. True, and not that ever came of that. So don't know if they're just messing with us or what. Um, releases these past two weeks. Well, this last week and the week coming up. Thursday, February 16th, Star Trek Picard's newest season on Paramount Plus launched. Thursday, February 16th, Animal Control on Fox launched. And five, five, ugh, Friday, February 17th, the newest season of Carmel Road dropped on Prime Video. And I'm going to stop talking for a hot minute. <laughs> you have to answer my question first. Have you watched any movies other than our main movies this week? Chris, normally I say no. But this week I am saying yes. I watched Ant-Man the Wasp. Watched right after that Avengers Infinity War. And of course I couldn't stop there. I went on and watched Avengers Endgame and cried multiple times as is usual. And still reaffirms it's one of my favorite movies of all time. But other than awesome. that, no. <laughs> that was it. So we did watch Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Yeah, we did. We're not going to go spoilery here. Because um, it just came out. Right. So I'm going to read a very, very succinct uh, summary of this. And, um, and we'll go from there. So um, when Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, along with Hope's parents, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, and Scott's daughter Cassie are accidentally sent to the quantum realm. They soon find themselves exploring the realm, interacting with strange new creatures. That includes, and this is not a spoiler, because it's in the previews, Kang, the Conqueror. Um, and essentially what they're down there to, number one, they're trying to get back. But they're also trying to prevent Kang from succeeding with his mission. While at the same time helping out some of these uh, other creatures that they find down there that they didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. They get sent to the depths of the quantum realm. Worlds beneath worlds beneath worlds. So, um, I thought this was... We had talked about it beforehand. It got a 58% Rotten Tomato. Is second lowest um, MCU title. Yeah. And I don't know where that came from. Me either. <laughs> it is not... It's not on that level of bad. Um, tons of CGI. But it has to be, considering they're in the quantum realm. Um, there's some very good stuff with Paul Rudd that kind of bookends the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, some good humor there where he's reading, he's at a book reading for a book that he's written. You said they're coming out with this book. Yes, September. Yeah. You can so, pre-order it now. Kind of odd that they didn't time that closer to the to the film. I wonder why that is. I don't know. It's probably like something on the back end that they couldn't do. Maybe. But... It's Maybe different, but um, 
I had no issues with this movie. I mean, it, it, yeah, there's places where it probably could have been better. They probably could have picked up the the pacing a little bit here or there. Bill Murray gives a, a really fun performance mm-hmm. uh, at one point in the film. Um, but I don't think it was worthy of a 58% score. No. I don't understand where it came from. Um, I I had, there were some minor pacing issues and some characters. I was like, I just don't care. Like, I don't, I don't care about any of these people. Like, we didn't spend enough time for me to care about their stories or what they were going through. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's one of those, there, there are some, of course, as you expect with Marvel, there's some good jokes. You know, there's uh, the, yeah, the scene, I think it was in the trailer, where the uh, the guy at the coffee shop thinks that... Uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, man. He, he doesn't give him a coffee, or he, he doesn't charge him for a coffee, but then when he figures out that it's Ant-Man on his next visit, he charges him 12 yeah. bucks. It's like, oh, that's a little expensive for a cup of coffee. <laughs> um. This was a it was a good a good movie. And if you like the first two Ant Man, you're going to love this one. And that's just what yeah. it, it that same humor that was in the first two is in this one, and it's more of a comedy action film than it is a straight action drama that you know you get in some of these other ones, which is fine. You know, every one of these every one of these MCU movies are different. I had a big issue with the CGI, the same the way I had the issue with it with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, just like the same issue I've got with Evangeline Lilly. She's a big COVID denier and anti-vaxxer and stuff like that. Albeit she didn't ever cause problems for the set for being that way, but it still is um I'm not, you know, not with it. But the CGI is what got me. It was not um there are certain scenes, even when we watched the trailer together, I pointed out, like, hopefully they, they fixed it up in post because it was not doing it for me. But they did not, and it it is what it is. But what can you do, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I thought it was... It's definitely worth a watch. Yeah. It sets up so much that's coming. Mm-hmm. Down. So you kind of have to watch it if you're going to keep track of what's going on in the MCU. Um. What uh, what grade you got for this one? Uh, actually, let me see. I've already I've already graded it and letterboxed. I did a three and a half for me. Not bad, just, you know, but not the best either. Not definitely not fifty eight percent. I gave it a four. Yeah. So. Oh, speaking of, I need to put it on my phone. I gave it a four. So. Uh, not, not the best, like you said, but it's, it's not terrible. If, if you want to see a good superhero movie, I mean, this is certain, this certainly falls into that category. Right. Uh, and I think with the mid credit and post credit scenes, post credit is, whew. yeah, whew. Whew. yeah. Yeah, but the mid credit's not bad either. Mm-mm. So, definitely worth checking out. And we'll go over some of the other stuff too next week. Yeah, kind of touching on the spoilery aspect because of when that episode will drop, it'll have been out a week and a half-ish. So, people should have had time to see it that really, really want to see yeah. it. 
and time to skip ahead if they want to as well in the episode if they don't want to listen to our spoiler thoughts. Right. So the other movie that we watched uh, is very different. It's <laughs> one of the Best Picture nominees. The Banshees of Anna Sharon. Uh, I'm going to go over the plot. I think it's important to note if you haven't watched this yet and you're going to, and I didn't look this up till after the film started because I was like, oh, this this has a different tone to it. Uh, this is a... It's described as a black tragic comedy. Mm. Which... Yeah, <laughs> that fits. <laughs> yeah, def definitely fits. So we'll jump into the plot and then we'll talk about you know, what we thought of it. Um, at the tail end of the Irish Civil War in 1923, on the fictional Irish Isle of Inisharan, folk musician Colm Doherty abruptly begins ignoring his lifelong friend and drinking buddy, Patrick Sillabon. I'm assuming that's... I, I can't remember how they pronounced yeah, it. Yeah, that was... The, the, it was like Pedrick or it was something weird. But yeah, Patrick and, is a lot better. I like that. And, and seeing the last name's written out I, yeah, <laughs> Patrick though nice and well liked by the islanders is too dull for Calm, who wishes to spend the remainder of his life composing music and doing things for which he'll be remembered boy Willie mm -hmm. Patrick's life is is established by the loss of one of his few friends as Patrick grows increasingly distressed at the rejection Calm becomes more resistant to his old friend's attempts to speak to him Calm eventually gives Patrick an ultimatum. Every time Patrick bothers him or tries to talk with him, Calm will cut off one of his own left fingers with a pair of sheep shears. Now, I'm going to stop right here and say that the main thing that he wants to be remembered for is for his music. He plays the violin. Which you have to have fingers for. <laughs> so it really makes no sense at all. It's like he's trying to guilt trip Patrick by saying you're going to be the reason that I can't play music anymore. Mm -hmm. No, you are. You cut your yeah. You, you cut your own fingers off, buddy. So, yeah, it, it's a little bit like it's like I said, it's a little bit dark. The local Garda, Pedar, beats his troubled son Dominic severely, and Patrick and his sister Shiban take Dominic in for a short time. It's yeah, I mean, it's like one night, so yeah. a very short time. While delivering milk to the market, Pedar insults Pedrick, who retaliates by making public the fact that he beats and abuses his son. And this kind of glosses over that, because what he really says is he fiddles with his son, meaning yeah. he's molesting his own son. Um, Pedar accosts him and strikes him twice, knocking him to the ground nearly unconscious. Calm witnesses this. Wordlessly, he lifts Patrick back into his wagon and drives it back toward their homes. On the way, Patrick breaks down sobbing. Calm pulls the wagon to a stop at a fork in the road and gets out to walk down the right path toward his house, leaving Patrick to guide his wagon along the left path to his own. Though Shaban and Dominic attempt to defuse the pair's escalating paddle, their efforts prove fruitless. Patrick, drunk, confronts Calm in the pub over his lack of niceness. Calm remarks this is the most interesting Patrick has been, and to himself mutters, I think I like him again now. <laughs> Dominic tells Patrick about what Patrick said in Calm's reply, and Patrick goes to Calm on the beach. Calm rejects him, and later cuts off 
one of his own fingers and throws it at Pedric's door. That's not correct. He cuts off his remaining four yeah, fingers. remaining four fingers. And just starts throwing them at the door. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which, we'll find out, has further consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, after Pedric sees Calm meeting with a fiddler from the mainland, Pedric tricks the fiddler into returning home by lying about his father being hit by a bread van. Which apparently happens quite a lot. Cause yeah, the, the, guy... <laughs> the other dude, it, it happened to his mom or something like that? It's already happened before? It's his mammy, I think yeah. he said. It's already happened once. <laughs> he said if it's the same bread van. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. As the tensions worsen, local elder Mrs. McCormick warns Pedrick that death will come to the island soon. Meanwhile, Shaban gently rejects Dominic's, Dominic's romantic advances. Pedrick tells Dominic about what he did to the fiddler, and Dominic says Pedrick is no longer nice. Pedrick becomes convinced this will make him interesting enough for Calm, and he visits Calm to reprimand him for behaving so badly. They converse awkwardly, and Calm reveals he's finished composing his song, which he calls the Banshees of Enisharan. Pedrick suggests he should go ahead to the pub and order them a couple of pints. Calm says that would be fine. Hadrick tells Calm about lying to the fiddler to run him off the island, and that perhaps all three of them could have drinks. Hadrick waits in, in vain at the pub, drinking many pints. Calm cuts off his remaining left fingers with the shears and throws them at the door of Hadrick's cottage. They've they've recapped this a little out of order. Yeah. Um, sick of life on the island, Shaban moves to the mainland for a job in a library. Hadrick comes home to find his pet donkey, Jenny, has choked on one of the fingers and died. Mm. Lord have mercy. A heartbroken Pedrick blames Calm for the donkey's death. He confronts Calm and tells him he'll burn his house down the next day at 2 p.m. and that he doesn't care if Calm's in the house at the time or not, but he hopes Calm will ensure his dog is outside, as the dog has done nothing to Pedrick. The next time, the next day at 2 p.m. as promised, Pedrick sets fire to Calm's house. The dog is sitting outside the door, and Pedrick puts it in his wagon to take home. Only after setting the house on fire, Pedrick looks in a window and sees Calm calmly sitting inside the burning building. Pedar goes to Pedrick's house, presumably to arrest him or beat him. He's diverted away by Mrs. McCormick, who wordlessly leads him to Dominic's corpse floating in the nearby lake. The next morning, Pedrick with the dog finds Calm standing on the beach beside his burnout house. Calm apologizes for the donkey's death and suggests destroying the house as ended their feud, but Pedrick informs him it only would have ended if he'd stayed inside the house. When Calm wonders if the Civil War has ended, Pedrick states he believes it may be a good thing that there are some things that cannot be moved on from. As Pedrick turns to leave, Calm thanks him for looking after his dog. Any time, Pedrick replies. Unbeknownst to them, Mrs. McCormick is watching them from a distance by Calm's burned cottage. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's a very interesting, um, interesting film. Um, Dominic, he's not only going through the abuse of by his father, and it's it's not just the molestation. He beats him. In fact, there's a mm -hmm. scene where he uh, he lets him know that he beat him with a tea kettle, and they're like, "He beat you with a kettle," and he says, "Well, it was the spout that hurt the most." <laughs> I felt like, so bad for Dominic this whole movie. Yeah, yeah. But you get the sense after, because obviously you don't know where it's going. Right. 
but you get the sense after they find his body that his approaching Iban was like his last attempt to give himself a reason not to kill himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, of course, turns him down. And he kind of, there's his body language as he walked away. Uh, and, and it's Barry Keegan that plays the... He's such a good the, actor, man. Yeah, yeah, amazing. He's up for the Oscar, I think, for Best Supporting I, Actor, I believe. I think so, Lee. Um, but he he's walking away from her, and he kind of turns and he looks back. She's watching him leave. And he turns and looks back. And then when he turns back around, he takes his hat off, and his shoulders just fall forward. Mm -hmm. like it's Like, that was it. That was his last reason to keep going. And so he offs himself. Yeah. You know, apparently Walks just into a lake. And yeah. That's it. Cause they they kind of hinted at that at the beginning of the film, too. They're talking about another family that um, just evidently walked into the lake and then just that's how he killed himself. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. tragic, you know? Yeah. But. but I'll say this on this island. How do these people make money? Uh, I've I've got no idea. Like I, I mean, what's his name? Uh, Patrick? Like he, I guess he just has a farm with the donkey and the horse. I really don't know. Well, but his, Siobhan kind of dismisses the animals. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you could have your animals, and or someone could take care of them if you want them to, or you know. So I don't know that he was using them to make money. I mean, maybe they were selling the milk from the cows. Right. Um, or trading it. But it seems like most of the folks, they wake up, they do whatever for the first part of the day, and at 2 p.m. they go to the pub and they stay there until it's time to go to bed. I mean, like, this sounds like not a, not a bad lifestyle, I'm going to be honest here. I, <laughs> what the heck? Okay. Uh, actor in supporting role, you've got Brendan Gleeson from Banshee and Barry Keegan from Banshee. And so. Brendan Gleeson is uh, calm. Yep. Colin Farrell. He's up played. for the best leader. Yeah, he plays Patrick. Um, and oh, I'm forgetting her name now. Let me. I'm. I'm on the. Um. Bond is played by Carrie Condon. Mm. She does a really good job as well. Uh, the actors in this did amazing. I, I just think if you go into it not knowing what it is, or if you haven't watched a lot of stuff like this before, you're probably not going to enjoy it that much. Which I kind of think is where Tyler's coming from on this. Yeah. I, I gave this four and a half stars. Because I really... It's, it's off-center, and it's it's different and so I, I just yeah. For uh, me it it was it was a fun watch. It's depressing in a way. Mm -hmm. But at the same time it's the dark comedy that comes out of it. Um you know, he keeps trying to sneak the, the miniature donkey into the house. His sister won't have it. <laughs> the whole time Jenny. Yeah, Jenny. Um, the interaction of people at the pub, like when when he first the movie first starts, and Calm won't go with him, um, to the pub, and he goes to the pub without him, and everybody's shocked. They're like, well, "Where's Calm?" Mm -hmm. He's like, 
I don't know. He he's he's down at his house, but he he won't come out. And they said, "Are y'all rowing?" And he's like, "I don't think we're rowing." <laughs> Sounds like you're rowing, right? It does sound like we're rowing. Maybe you should go see. Yeah, I'll go see if we're rowing. And then it was, it was even like the next day because he was messing with the calendar. He goes, oh, he goes, I get it. And he goes, I saw it was a new month yesterday. It didn't move yeah. my calendar. It's like that was April Fool's joke. It clearly was not because off comes a finger and like he thought that was a bird or something. And I was like, nope, that's a, that's a finger that bounced off and landed in your pot there. But, well, oh, no. It's, it's one of those things where... I guess, I guess this does happen uh, as far as the way people just turn off to certain people. Yeah. Because um, they didn't have an argument. They didn't have a fight. He just, Calm just decided he didn't like him anymore. Yeah. Well, he wanted to, yeah. wanted to be remembered for something. And he said, I can't be remembered for being nice. He goes, no one remembers someone for being nice. He said, Mozart yeah. made music or whatever. I'm like, that's... To have someone not in your corner, to because like he said, it was distracting him too much. I was like, okay, come on, he's not distracting him. So, uh, but no, he still could have hung out with him and gone home two hours earlier. Than right, the and then worked on it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. makes it, the story didn't hold up for me on that part. Um, I gave it a two and a half. It's just not my kind of moving. Yeah, and it didn't really get good to me until he cut his finger off. And then even then it lulled a little bit, and then he cut all of his fingers off. After all, I was like, okay, they're getting back together, you know. They're talking about the dog. They're talking about the song. He finished his song. He's gonna play for his funeral. So like, okay, it's just nice and everything. And then he sends him to the pub, and he said he'll be right there. And he clearly just sit there drinking for a little bit, and we find out he just he cut all his fingers off, and then was throwing them at his dude's door. And you see him walking on the street, and I was like, that's all really got interesting. I was like, oh. And they told him, he said, at 2 o'clock, I'm burning your house down. And he said, yeah. right after church, I am burning your house down. He you goes, I prefer if the dog was not in it. And he says, but I'd prefer if you were in it. And I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and he did. And he still got out of the house, though. So, and like, it, so are they still friends at the end of that now? Like, I guess are they doing their things normal again? I don't, that's how kind of how I took it. See, the the thing is, you know, he, he kind of indicates, you know, that there's some stuff that people can't move on from, like mm. people are going to hold grudges. But then when he, he thanks him for watching his dog, he says, anytime. Right. Like with a little so, bit of a smirk, he was trying not to smirk, but he did. And I was like, okay, so I told him, that's it, we're yeah, done. <laughs> I guess it's take it how you will. Right. Right. Uh, I, there were a couple of, I did like the, the priest and some of the stuff that went on mm-hmm. in the confessional. Uh, are you forgetting anything I, else? How's your despair? <laughs> well, that, he, he was basically depressed. Yeah. That's why he was doing this. Uh, but it's 1923. So who, who knows about depression? modern medicine or depression or any of it? Uh, and there's a war raging just uh, across the ocean. Yeah, we could hear the gun. I thought that was a cool spot, like cool thing, because yeah. like you could hear the shots and everything, and people were commenting on it. But it was just like it didn't affect them or anything. I was like, they're going yeah. through a civil war over there, and you could hear yeah. each other killing each other. But okay, <laughs> uh, I I did like too because of the accents, the way that they when they said certain 
uh, curse words. Mm-hmm. Frickin'. Yeah, you could actually say that. Yeah. And not that was great. I was like, all right. And they throw it around a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I... It, it hit for me. It didn't hit for you. Um, I don't know where I would rank this on the best picture winner list. It's this is the lowest one for me. Um, but of course, Elvis is still my top in. I don't think we're going to get to a movie that tops Elvis, to be honest with you. Yeah, next week we're going to review Top Gun Maverick. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. I've been watching it again, though. I've not. So that'll be it's Tom Cruise and uh, Miles Teller. Yep. Um, so that'll be. That'll be good. It'll be a little bit of a palate cleanser because we're coming off. <laughs> That's of, exactly how I'll describe it. <laughs> coming off of this and uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, mm-hmm. which are two, even though this is somewhat comedic, it's heavy. Right. And All Quiet is definitely heavy. So it'll be a nice little palate cleanser, and then we'll see where we go from there. Right. The ceremony is March 12th. We've got what? Just a, and and it's oh, on a Sunday, so the previous week will be. Um, so we got two weeks until, what this week, three weeks. Until the three weeks before the show. Yep. So we got two more weekends. We'll review Top Gun, and then we'll have time to do one more. Yeah. Which will not be Avatar. Well, okay, because, heaven forbid, they release it anywhere we can stream it. So. Well, you know. Good old James. Gotta get his money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, On to the news. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the most watched Marvel film premiere on Disney Plus worldwide. This comes from Variety. And the byline goes to Todd Spangler. He notes, it's the most watched Marvel film premiere on Disney Plus across the globe based on hours streamed in its first five days. I did not contribute to this, by the way. Neither did I. I just realized I talked about our our second movie and didn't change my background. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I downloaded one for it. So while I, while I go over this story, I'm going to change it. Uh, I, no, I, I didn't watch uh, Black Panther. Um streaming because we did see it in theaters and it it was one that i didn't feel like i needed to immediately yeah. watch i, I know I, think... I will eventually but, but yeah i'm right there with you it's not one i need to watch immediately as it dropped it's too busy um, to watch an end game <laughs> right black panther wakanda forever directed by ryan coogler launched on disney plus on february 1st after its theatrical debut on november the 11th 2022 Note, Disney did not provide any specific viewing numbers for the movie's streaming performance, and that the claim is based on the media conglomerate's own internal measurements. So why are we going off of it, is my question. Right. If you're not going to back up your data, then... I mean, I guess I've never lied about it before, so that kind of makes sense, but I'm like, based on its own internal measurements, so... (laughs) You know? Yeah, I don't... They do note here towards, at the end, starting February 8th, 
Disney Plus subscribers can watch behind-the-scenes footage and interviews of the making of the movie and assembled the making of Black Panther Wakanda forever. Oh, I do want to watch that then. Yeah. So, I keep forgetting about those. And I, I always wonder, want to watch them. And I always forget about them. I wonder if that will be included on the physical release. Oh. I need to put it in to see if it's on there. The code in to see if it's on there. As yeah. far as... Uh, Huh. I'd hate that they'd time gate that. Yeah, that yeah, they should include all of that on there. But yeah. What do I know? Alright. Next up from Deadlines, Anthony Delessandro. I am legend next chapter. Will Smith and Michael B. Jordan to star and produce together for first time. Akiva Goldsman back to write. Uh, Warner Brothers is upping the stakes on its I Am Legend franchise to a stratospheric level for its next chapter. The studio is bringing back not only original star Will Smith, but also Black Panther actor Michael B. Jordan. And what will rep the duo's first big movie together is stars and producers. Talk about two big stars aligning. Smith and Jordan's movies combined have grossed a massive $12.3 billion worldwide. Plot details course are being kept under wraps they have noted i don't know if they mention it here uh going further down but they have noted that they are going to ignore the original ending mm-hmm. for the first movie and they're going to go with the alternate ending which is the better ending of the film yeah My so bad. that's a plus i wonder i really shouldn't say this because but will smith has been sort of persona non grata ever since the Oscars mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. And I wonder if pairing him with Michael B. Jordan is as much about trying to repair some of that. Right. Well, if you notice, he's doing a bunch of these sequels to the beloved movies now. Like, yeah. uh, Bad Boys four. is getting four, and now he's bringing back Iron Legend 2, so... Yeah. The safe stuff. Yeah, the, that, that's exactly the word I would use, is safe. Also, we mentioned it earlier, um, the Marvels has been delayed until November the 10th, 2023. I think it was originally in July. And yeah. And Guardians came out in May. Yeah. So. That's kind of close together, though. Yeah. So, uh, to, I wonder how this affects Disney+, Plus because we're under the impression the Marvels is going to tie to Secret Invasion. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe Secret Invasion will take over that July month, well, maybe July into yeah. August. It's just, it's Secret Invasion's a show though, right? Yeah. Or did they make a movie with it? It's a show. So like, I wonder if it starts in like August and carries over to like September or something like that. Maybe. Or till October okay. to get into November. Because we, what is it we're getting? We're getting Loki, and um... Guardians, and then. Secret Invasion, then hopefully in Marvels is how they do it. Yeah. Maybe they'll drop something between Loki and Secret. I mean, I kind of feel like you need to give us you need to give us Ironheart since we met her in Black Panther. Right. So she's already established at this point. Yeah. I don't like. What was it, Ironheart? What was the other one we talk, said earlier? Echo. Echo have been done with production and everything for months now. Yeah, but Echo, we could wait till next year on because 
next year we're supposed to get Daredevil, right? Oh, that is next year, 2024. So that's how you set them up a little more, too. Yeah. Mm, keep it fresh. Fresh, like a Subway sub. Not really. <laughs> uh, Subway's not a sponsor of this podcast. No. Firehouse, if they want to. Although, you know, if, if, if you want to 10, 12 it up, we'll do a Firehouse segment. <laughs> Releases this week. Of course, February 17th, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania came out in theaters. So there's that. Um, and now, Tyler, if you will, games. Chris, yes. have you been playing anything the past couple of days? Man, I haven't played a ton, and what I have played is my usual, so... I did the Destiny close-up of the season, close-up of year five. Because um, we in two weeks we have the, the new chapter, the new expansion, which I'm kicking myself for not asking off of work, but I don't have that much PTO since I switched jobs in October anyways. Um, but I have been playing a little game called Hogwarts Legacy. And dear Lord, has it taken over my life. I've only put 15, I think it's 15 or 18 hours in. Of course, this is a 50 to 60 hour game to complete the main story and 100 hours to do it 100%. Of course, I am trying to 100% it. And this is the perfect Hogwarts Harry Potter game, whatever you want to call it. The amount of detail that's put in there. Like I was seeing someone on TikTok that was reading a, a passage from the book as the character in Hogwarts Legacy was walking around and everything that was described to a book was put in the game to a T. Like the amount of detail that you can explore this castle and then how big Hogsmeade is and how big the rest of the world is that you can explore and do things on is just chef's kiss perfect. And it's starting to be in my top five game of all time. And that's scary because there's not a lot of room here. So I will have to see how it is at the end of the game and what end game looks like past the campaign and everything. But so far right now, it's it's great. It's like 100 years or 200 years before um the harry potter series i think it's 100 years so like it's all new characters there's some names that you recognize like last names and family lines but other than that it's all it's a whole brand new world but man it's it's truly special and if you're any kind of a harry potter fan you like playing video games you have have to play this game like it's it's a have to just because of how great it is but i digress only notable news I've got this week, the Nintendo Switch has now sold 122.55 million units, which surpasses the PlayStation 4 and the Game Boy to become the third best-selling video game console of all time. Of course, the first one is the Wii, the second one is PlayStation 2. So, which now Nintendo has two of the top three best-selling video games of all time. Who'd have thunked it? It's also because they're not releasing any new console and it's been seven years, so like we're on a whole new generation cycle, and we don't have anything new. I never understood yeah. that, but what do I know? I, they don't ask me for advice. They, <laughs> they should, but you know, what do, I, I'm just a gamer here. That's all. Uh, notable new releases: Atomic Heart for play, uh, PC, PS5, Xbox Series, PS4, and Xbox One, February 21st, and Xbox Game Pass. I am playing that one. Um, like a Dragon Ishin for PlayStation 5 and 4 on February 21st. PSVR 2 and all of its slate of like 30 games comes February 22nd. Although I've heard it's not worth the price, which it is not worth the price of $600 because it's more expensive than the PlayStation 5 is. But I digress. 
Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe on Switch, February 24th, and Octopath Traveler 2, PC, PS5, PS4, and Switch on February 24th as well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been your episode of the Nerdwide Podcast for episode 102. We really hope you enjoyed watching and or listening to this one. If you enjoyed Fury here, let us know. If not, because he's been a pain a little bit, I know. Just look at that cute face. If not, just let us know down in the comments. Let us know what you thought of Banshees of Inishirin. And if you watched Ant-Man Quantumania, let us know down in the comments. We want to hear from you. Uh, if, you know, if anything, we'll get some of your comments right on the show. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you leave us a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a good rating for whatever podcasting app and service you use. Don't forget to share on all your favorite social media platforms. The more eyes we get in, the more views and listens and all that good stuff, the more we can improve the show and get a little bit of cash so we can throw it right back into you guys, the Nerdwide Podcast, for your production and things like that. Social Giveaways. Giveaways. Oh, giveaways. Uh, speaking of social media, you can follow the Nerdwide account at nerd underscore wide on Twitter. You can follow me at ty underscore Haynes, Chris at mavtn7. Facebook, go to the search bar, search at Nerdwide Podcast, Nerdwide, nerdwide.com. We're always the first thing that pops up on that one. Give us a follow on either one of those. That's when you know the episodes go live. If you're not subscribed in the podcasting services or YouTube, but you should already be doing that. But anyways... But ladies and gentlemen, as always, this has been this week's episode of, of the Nerdwide Podcast. We've got a Last of Us episode to watch this week. And boy, oh boy, I know it's going to be a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you then, and we'll talk about Top Gun Maverick. Later, guys.